On this week's episode, we're speaking with Patrice Palmer, scholar, consultant, and amazing human being. They are speaking to my heart, and I hope that you connect too. My name is Jesse Santana, and I'm an organizational culture strategist, entrepreneur, and lover. This is the Way We Work podcast, where we discuss all things at the intersection of knowledge-seeking curiosity, entrepreneurship, and social impact. Hey, Patrice, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm well. I'm well. I can't believe that it's taken us this long to uh, get this going. That's real. (laughs) (laughs) Too long, too long. But I have, so you're, you know, you're working in a corporate environment. You're going to school. You're consulting. You're doing all these wonderful things. I want to learn more. I'm like dying. (laughs) All right. Uh, Where would you like me to start? Well, so can I quote you? Because your post today was like everything. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There is a pervasive myth of not only sameness, but of being identical to each other. It's as if the human condition is a fixed matrix that all have access to sameness with respect to existence. I like just, uh, that was, that was so many things. <laughs> and, and obviously there's more to the post, but you've been posting on, on LinkedIn and I'm sure other places, just like these truths that are so, that are just like made so clear and everyone can understand. And there's no, how people don't know these things already (laughs) but that's obviously because we've experienced them we know them to be true Mm -hmm. but it's like your words are just resonating with so many people and that is appreciative um I think the one of the reasons why this has um been so heavy in my mind and, and again has has been a part of a lot of the posts that I've been posting lately um are, I think for two reasons. One reason is that, um, as I said in a post before, I said that, I, you know, I, a lot of times I, I post for the folks who are not being acknowledged for the things that are happening to them. Um, and I mm-hmm. think we need to do that more. Like, I, I need for folks to know, like, you're not crazy, if we can even use that term. You're not overly sensitive. You're not any of these um, gaslighting um, euphemisms that are used, um, particularly for folks who do this type of work. Like that is not actually happening. You are feeling these things and it's absolutely valid that you're feeling them and we have to acknowledge them. So a lot of times I'm not, I'm not talking to persuade anybody. I, I, I probably gave that up um, years ago. Because when you well, you can't really do that. Once someone has a you know is fixed on how they feel the world exists around them, you really can't do anything about it. I want to talk to the folks mm-hmm. who are in the work and who are in the muck and mire, who are challenged every day with these things, but no one ever acknowledges that they actually exist. And so just to let them know, like, no, I see you, I hear you, what you're feeling is valid, and we can continue to move through this instead of move. 
um, move out of it. We can actually move through it. So that's the one thing. And the second thing is that this is my own personal healing that you all have just been invited to. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, as I have done this work, as I have suffered with this work, um, it is a healing to do. And I, and I, uh, I I'm, I'm quoting uh, Dr. Shannon Wong um, from, uh, uh, from LinkedIn. Um, uh, they're on LinkedIn as well. And um, one of the things that they brought that really resonated with me this morning as I was I was kind of like reading through um, was about how when they were doing their dissertation, that their committee told them, do not write to add to the academy, write to heal it. And mm. when that was stated, I said, no, that's real, because I think we're trying to write toward or we're trying to get people to to uh to be fixed in something and we can't fix anything until people are healed so let's start acknowledging how healing needs to take place first and once folks are mm -hmm. in a in a better space to be healed then they actually can begin to change things but you can't change anything until you're healed from it yeah yeah and i mean I talked to with some other people who also are like, yeah, as all of these companies are putting out these pipeline recruitment, you know, demographics information and all these things that they're hoping to achieve, but they haven't fixed their home yet. Mm -hmm. And it's like they're bringing in basically all of these people to further injury mm -hmm. because they're not ready to, you know, care for these individuals that they're bringing in that are not mm -hmm. the same as them. Absolutely. And it's it's mind-boggling to me that change at the or at, at this level looks like we're just going to throw out what we've done and try to like find people who are bringing a solution but they're set, being set up for mm -hmm. failure by not providing them with the right resources the right team if or any budget mm -hmm. yeah that's real <laughs> And I, I mean, I, you are the only person that I've ever talked to whose, whose company actually understands that it's not just a, a HR siloed thing, that it's not just a, you know, the cultural events and activities mm -hmm. throughout the year, that it's a part of the organization as a mm -hmm. whole. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and how this came to be? Because I'm sure that it was, you were the first person in this. In yeah, this so I would say for, for both of the spaces that I reside in, one being in the corporate space at New Belgium Brewing Company, and then the other um, being the um, director for social and cultural inclusion um, for the College of Business at Colorado State. Both of those things happened with me not quote unquote doing the work. Uh, so what I mean by that is me trying to shift the culture in the leadership position that I had before going into those spaces. So because I didn't have the, the authority, I had a little bit more freedom. And a lot of people don't recognize that. As I have been in these, in these two different spaces, I recognize how now you have to almost assert the freedom that you need to have in order to keep doing the work. Because, uh, there is so many, there are so many policies and procedures that you don't, you don't see as far as overhead. Um, being um, an academic advisor and coordinating students, I had a lot more freedom to say and be and exist. And when I walked into these new spaces with these new opportunities, I had to demand that that was still a part of who I was able to be. 
And that sometimes mm -hmm. is given up. And when I say given up, it's because when we walk into some of these spaces, we are given a paycheck. And that paycheck and that title is now telling folks that you cannot say, be, or act a certain way because now you on the clock for me. And when I walked into that space, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't need that if it means I have to give up who I am. Like, let me be poor and keep moving my folks forward. Let me be poor and still create inclusive in environments if that's what inclusion will have me do at this stage in my career. Like, I'll stay with that. But mm -hmm. don't think you're going to give me money to, hu to hush me up. Don't think you're going to give me a title yeah. to now give me a bunch of constraints that I would not have. And so when I came in, and it's, and it's funny, anytime I've ever interviewed for a position, I always tell folks, this is how I show up. If you cannot accept all of me, then I don't want this. And this is a great opportunity. And for, for the vast majority of people, they would say you're crazy for even bringing that up. But I will absolutely say I cannot compromise who I am. One, mm -hmm. it's because I created a relationship with my community. They have an expectation of me. And when you are in positions of power, the expectation is even greater. And as you move up within those positions of power, that, <laughs> that is taken from you at certain levels, depending on what you can and can't say, right? Yeah. And so that has been something that I have always fought for. And actually, I have it in writing. So, you know, let, let's be real. I get that in writing. Like, this is mm. who I am. So that when it, if you decide because someone else is not happy about it, I want to make sure that that was something that was very much known prior to that this is how I was going to show up. So that's really what I have had the, the pleasure of being able to do in spaces that align with my value. But I had to build that. I had to build yeah. that alignment. I had to figure out what that looks like for me in this position, in this position, as well as where I am in, in the stage of my life and in the stage of my career. So this was very intentional, um, how I have had uh, the opportunity to, to, to show up. Um, but I don't think any of that would have happened without great mentors who kept telling me, do not bend. And, mm. and I try to do that for folks now, as I am now in a, in a seat that is different, I tell folks don't bend just because, and it's going to be hard because that, it, yeah. the, the institutions that we're a part of, any of the institutions that we are a part of were not created with us in mind. They were only created with our labor in mind, but not our wholeness and our authenticity. Yeah. And just hearing you, you know, I, the amount of strength that you hold in your voice, in your demeanor, um, I'm a little envious, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Because <laughs> I think that even, you know, I feel like as I was thinking of how to present myself to a new audience, um, I wrote an email blast for people that I'd met uh, attending an online mm -hmm. conference in Europe. And so I was like, okay, well, how should I begin, you know, this, this, mm -hmm. the narrative? Um, and I was looking back and I was like, hey, I have done this work far longer mm -hmm. than I realized. Like, yeah, like I started doing, you know, inclusion stuff into 2018. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the first time I spoke out about what, what my reality was, 
was when I wrote a personal essay in college, say a call entitled mm. Whitewashed. And I basically laid out the fact that in order for me to be accepted in society, in American society, as well as my Dominican society, is I need to be some kind of woman. And unfortunately, I've been conditioned to fall into that. And then, of course, there's always that yeah, I'm too brown for some people and mm-hmm. not brown mm-hmm. enough for others. And... And even though, like, I, I remembered this, having written this, I didn't feel that it was connected because I felt like it was just it was just too personal. It was like, um, and that's also the reason why I felt like this, this transition from, you know, intercultural management and international uh, team building to working in inclusion and belonging took a long journey for me because it felt so close to home and so vulnerable to me. And I was almost afraid of being the token person because I've always been the person that was like, hey, but what if we you know, invited other opinions or we invited other people that might enjoy this as well? Um, and I, so how, how does that strength come where you're just like, you won't bend? Like, I'm still afraid to sometimes, like I had a conversation with somebody who wanted to change my uncomfortability workshop because they found the word like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to be uncomfortable. And I was like, but that's the whole point that we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. No, it's real. real. (laughs) Like (laughs) there's no other way to go about it. Like, but that, but just, just because you are uncomfortable doesn't mean that you can still take action. And that's the whole point. He was like, mm, but I don't know. I, I kind of feel like that like makes me not want to do it. And I was like, of course it doesn't because you're a cis <laughs> white older male. <laughs> and for you, discomfort is everything mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> but I mean, so how, where, do, where does the strength come from? Because I need to. I need okay, to that so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take you on a quick journey of just a, a little bit about my background. So I I uh, my mom is a uh, uh, Gullah, um, and so uh, she is uh, a descendant of um, Sierra Leonean enslaved people within the Sea Islands of South Carolina um, through the Port of Charleston. Mm-hmm. So my mother has a strong uh, matriarchal uh, blackness um, that was given to her by my grandmother. Um, yet that same strength has been tested um, because she's in a society that does not deem blackness as an asset. Um, and so I had a chance growing up because both of my parents were in the military. I had a chance growing up to be with my grandmother. So um, my grandmother reared me from from days old up until I was five and instilled in me um, an understanding of who I was. And so as I have gotten older and, and, and have continued to challenge and, and not always meet that uh, prerequisites of, of knowing who I am, um, I never forgot who that person was that I had met. And so with my grandmother, my grandmother is a storyteller. And I always tell people I'm a cultural storyteller and I'm a sermonic speaker. And that all came from Black church culture as well as um, my grandmother's um, 
just her roots of, of how she she is able to disseminate information. And she would always tell stories. And she would she would say when we were when I was younger, she would talk about how who we are as a people. And she would always say, you mm-hmm. come from people that could not die. And I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, I'm sorry, are are we like superheroes? Like, did that? Did you just say that? Am do I have powers? Like, did this? Don't you just unlock for me? But she was like, you descend yeah. from people that could not die, that could not die under the mm-hmm. weight of what was given to them, being taken from their homes, being forced into servitude, and having their language and their religion and everything that made them who they were, you actually bore from them. And because of Mm. that, it is your job to never forget that because they died in order for you to have it. So anytime I walk into this Mm -hmm. space, I walk into this space as someone who has every understanding of what it means to be black. I am black unapologetically. I am black, not just based in misery and pain and solitude but I'm I'm forged in fire I am built up by the ancestors who who gave their lives so that I have a I could have a paved road and I owe it to them to not yeah. only continue that path but to continue to build upon it we're not resting on a tradition we build upon that tradition. And so I build upon the legacy of strength. I build upon the legacy of intellectual understanding. I build upon the legacy of faith and love and admiration for my community. And I also build upon the Mm -hmm. fact that I have a, a opportunity to be expansive to my community. And so with all of those things, when I walk into a room, I can't ever feel like I'm an imposter. I can't, I, I, I cannot feel the imposter syndrome. The reason for that is because I'm not an imposter in something that wasn't ever designed with me in mind. You can't be an imposter. You literally weren't mm. a part of, like you're not sneaking into something. It, you weren't a part of it. So when you go into that space, it's a revolutionary act. And so the imposter syndrome that we all hear and understand and feel, particularly in higher education, we really feel it, is something that I will not wear anymore. It is a garment that is too heavy for me. So I don't wear it. Mm -hmm. And that is something that comes with just understanding who you are and understanding what you give and loving it unapologetically. Because you got to fall in love with blackness. You have to fall in love with the parts of you that have been historically torn down. And the minute you fall in love with that thing, the minute you understand that it it is a blessing, that it is a responsibility, and it is as if you are royalty, then there's nothing that can be taken away from me. You can't make me feel a way that you have no... You, you literally have no um, opportunity to take. Who are you? That you can, that I, I have to stand before you and explain myself. No. If you don't see me as your equal, then there's no yeah. reason. 
Because I only explain myself to my equals. Mm -hmm. And all others I teach. That's it. Yeah. So, speaking of higher education, (laughs) how is it, you know, navigating those spaces of, yes, while those systems were not created with you in mind, you know, we still exist in ways Mm -hmm. within those systems. And and not only in, you know, getting people to support the kind of work that you're doing within that system, but then also to further the, the, the knowledge that you are, you know, it's all about the, the uh, continuing that legacy of knowledge, right, when it comes to higher education. So how do you get, you know, how do you make sure that your work is not... Um, tempered it's not you know people don't come back with you, to you and say hey maybe you know change this up a little bit I know that recently there's you know um Timnit mm-hmm. Gebru from AI mm-hmm. ethics at Google um that was a whole thing like they were they wanted her to change her language mm-hmm. and she didn't want to um how is it navigating in that space um, of education I think one, because English is not my first language. So Gullah is my first language. I would say uh, Gullah is my first language. Uh, African-American vernacular English is my second language. And then standard Americanized English is my third language. Um, And so when I am Mm. writing anything, I will use the language that was forced upon me and not the language that I know. And I use that language because mm. I have to make sure that I am um, within a, a, I would almost say a dominant perspective of it. I have to understand what the, what oppression looks like in the language of oppression, not the language of the oppressed. I have to understand the language of oppression and the oppressor. Like you really need to have an understanding of that and you have Mm -hmm. to master it because you cannot wield it for good if you don't understand how it works. And so when Mm -hmm. I go into anything and I struggle, I still struggle as a writer. I still struggle Um, to ensure that my voice is always the voice that has to be stated because it's very easy to be tempered uh, within this where folks are like, yeah, we want you to say it, but we don't need it to cut you when you say it. I need you to be able to use Mm -hmm. words that don't hurt people. And when they mean hurt, it's just offense. It's not Mm -hmm. actual hurt. (laughs) It's always just offense. And so when when i'm when i'm writing anything i think about that i think about who am i writing to who is in my center so my center is always marginalized and historically minoritized voices those are the folks who i'm thinking about cuz i need them to know but i got to get through some people to get for them get to them and so when i'm when i'm doing that if if you've ever seen any of my writing or you read any of my writing i will start very large and verbose with my language and then i will bring it in And because I'm doing that, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of, I'm opening the door for every level to meet me where I need them to meet me at. And I always try to write from passion, which is really hard because if I'm not passionate about something, it's really hard for me to, to, to like get that out of there. So um, one of the techniques I try to utilize again is that healing process. How do you talk to someone who is injured? 
how do you how do you work through mm-hmm. as if you know thinking about it from a psychological perspective how do you provide words for someone who's been traumatized and so that's where i'm trying to come yeah. from when i'm talking and i've been in spaces where i'm allowed to speak like that but when i have been challenged and said hey i don't think this is enough I have to make sure that I put on the language that that person or that group understands in order to get to the people I need to really talk to. And I've had um, researchers, particularly professors, who say, Patrice, you write to the to the lay person, but but a a uh, a learned individual, a professor, someone who is an expert in this area can still understand what you're talking about. And I was like, yeah. Because there's only five of those people and there's 155 of the people who will not ever be at this seat, but they need to understand I'm talking to them and I'm centering Mm -hmm. them. And so, again, I think it goes back to how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves within our work. I see myself as a healer. I see myself as a storyteller. I don't see myself as a researcher. I don't see myself as a um, an expert. I see myself as a practitioner of this work because it will continue to change and mold mm-hmm. depending on um, the folks that I'm working with and how they need to be um, served. Always centering the most marginalized and historically minoritized voices, but I don't forget about that white dude. And, it, and for some people, they can't like they can't work like that. And I get it. We all have different ways of approaching this work. But when I do that, I really try to center the again, that most marginalized group. But I'm talking to that white dude who don't need to care. And so how am I addressing mm-hmm. somebody who don't need to care? How would I want to be addressed? And that's how I, I try to. Um, center myself in that. It's not easy. And I have had to walk away from positions before. I have been chastised in positions. I've been broken down and beaten down um, because of the crux that comes with um, unapologetic understanding and, and living. Um, and so I, I don't I don't ever want it to, to come across like, oh, yeah, I just so happen to always get in really good spots. No, I've 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 been beaten. I have been broken, even depending on the uh, perspective. But again, I come from people who can't die. So, yeah, it's going to hurt. Ooh, it's going to be uncomfortable. And I don't like it. I've separated myself from jobs. I've lost money. I've, I've been nearly homeless because I've made a stance. But guess what? I come from people who can't die. And so even when it when it hurts, I know it's going to get better because you you can't take my life. I can only give it. Hmm. So all of that is extremely powerful. And, you know, in that that time, I know that, for example, um, I I think I'm I'm a little bit on the other side where I am trying to understand you know, like with, with having all of these conversations, yes, there are people that have some kind of personal involvement, whether they have a partner of color or they have children of color. And that's all well and good because you're taking a personal stance because you have these people in your life. But I'm also vastly interested in those people that have no personal stake, 
that why are why should they be interested in this work and that's also the most tiring conversation <laughs> uh because oftentimes like i let them speak and they tell me the reasons and in my mind i always try to mm-hmm. take it with a grain of salt but i can feel that it's it's almost like it's 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 a verbal attack mm-hmm. against my heart against my soul um but i'm doing it on purpose because i do want to understand the reasons why you know an entrepreneur would feel that it's not their responsibility to create you know more opportunities for people of color when the example that they gave was you know it, they can expand the pipeline but it's not their responsibility to bring in everybody who can come in um sure i understand that but at the same time it's not only society's responsibility if you're also essentially a part of society right um so i mean how how do you work through that process i mean you obviously have said that you've walked away from things and and you know you've done all of that but like what kind of healing have you done have you needed to do after you know the oh yeah you definitely have to be you definitely have to go through a healing um when before you go in i think um again i think i kind of talked about having a a background and kind of sermonic um speaking um which is rooted in black church and so i always remember that um before you go to battle you have to pray and fast prior to and then afterwards you got to pray and fast because you got to be prepared to go in and you got to be prepared to go out. And I think about that when I'm teaching and I don't always know the people that I'm teaching. Um, of course, I try to go in with the utmost optimism, but I also make sure that I am, I am strengthened before I walk in. Because if I'm weak, when the minute you say something, it's going to hit me in a way that I'm not going to be able to separate my blackness from how I am teaching uh, a person in that moment. And I'm going to say something because, you know, I'm from Detroit mm-hmm. and I, I'm Gullah. So you say something to me, I don't back down easily at all. Um, and I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to take it to the grave because I'm mm-hmm. a tourist also. So <laughs> all those things are working against me as far as <laughs> like my my personal stake in it. So beforehand, I have to let it go. And and my partner knows I have I have a um, mm-hmm. before I do any presentation, I got about an hour where I'm like literally trying to get my mind and body and spirit right before I walk in because I cannot be of service if I'm if I'm empty. I can't pour into somebody else if I'm empty. So I'm working with my mentors to be uh, mm-hmm. to to be revived. I'm talking to people like you and 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 other change agents to get fired up for the work because it gets daunting at times. But I do that prior to going in. So when I have someone who's basically like, I'm only here so I don't get fired, I can still talk to them and I can still reach them mm-hmm. because what I'm doing is I am reflecting humanity. I'm not even reflecting you understanding blackness because guess what? You ain't going to never understand it. It is a sacred understanding and those who know, know, mm-hmm. and those who will never know, I, I read about it, I guess. <laughs> That's the best I can, I can tell you. 
but it's a sacred, it's a sacredness. And I'm not trying to get you to understand the black plight, not trying to get you to understand queerness in any way. I'm not trying to get you to understand those things. You will come to that understanding when you want to. What my job is, is to provide perspective and to let you remember what it means to be a human in society. Because that's actually the only thing I can give you that will actually make you say, well, you know what, maybe I should. Because everybody knows what it feels like to be siloed. We know what it feels like to be broken. We know what it feels like to be harassed. We know what it feels like to be shut down in some way. Sometimes that's people's personal family. Sometimes that's in the job. Sometimes that's in society at large. But folks understand that. And I remind them of that. I remind them that no, you don't know who Mike Brown is, but you know what it means to have a son. And you know what it means to see your son hurt. Now, I need you to amplify that and think about bullets in his lifeless body and he bleeding out in the street and you can't do nothing. That they won't even let you touch his body because he has become evidence. Can you understand why a neighborhood will want to burn itself to the ground. And people can understand it because they can be like, I know what it feels to be hurt. And I know what it feels like to be unheard in my hurt. And yes, my anger is so much that I could burn something to the ground. So I'm not, again, I'm not trying to get you Mm -hmm. to understand what it meant to be um, a black man who was, who was isolated and murdered in the street. I want you to know what it means like to be his mother and father. I want you to know what it feels like to be an aunt or a cousin or a friend. That's where I need you to be at. Because you're not going to understand what it means like for him to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. But you can understand the the titles and how those titles could be affected. Because in the moment, you're not trying to figure out, well, how did my, my nephew... Say, what did my nephew say to be shot? I, I know he got a mouth, so I, I understand that. No, you're not. There's nothing that you could you would be able to be like, I get it. I understand why that, that needed to happen. No, you're not. And you're mm-hmm. gonna you're gonna want answers. And so when I try to get people in that understanding and get people to understand who they are, because again, I can only project what I have. And because I know who I am, when I walk into a space, I need people to know who they are. If you decide that you will be racist, understand it will be a choice that you make to walk out of here and not do right. Are you willing to live with that? The vast majority of people are not. And you have to present it to them in that regard instead of, I want you to be an ally. I don't want you to be an ally. Please don't be an ally for me, please. I need you to get it together for you. And then once you get it together for you, mm-hmm. when you're strong enough, now we can start talking about allyship. But don't come to be no ally and you just figured this out yesterday. Because you're going to turn. You're going to uh, yeah. uh, turn tail. Turn tail and run. That's what you're going to do if you just got to this, this uh, perspective. And so that's really how I try to approach folks. Um, and then once I'm out of a, a conversation with folks, I got to decompress. Anybody who has ever heard me talk, I always say I'm actually an introvert with extrovert presentation. And now I got to let all of this mess off before I can talk to any other humans for the rest of the day. 
Yes, I completely understand mm-hmm. that <laughs> and resonate hard. Because, <laughs> yeah, I am the same way. I'm an introvert, mm-hmm. but professionally, I need to be an extrovert. And it t- and if you don't have that time to decompress, mm-hmm. it takes something out of you. I, I, I literally have to almost to sleep. Take. Like, it gets to the point where if I am, if I'm doing a, a presentation for an hour, I'm only up there for an hour. It'll take the rest of the day if I don't, if I'm not able to decompress in the ways that I need to decompress. It'll take the rest of the day, and I'm probably gonna wake up the next day still tired because mm-hmm. I'm drained. I'm drained from it, and that's a <laughs> that's a real thing. Yes. Mhm. Yeah. Um. So this, I mean, I don't know about you but I think that this year has made me realize that I don't need to be a community of one um however I have come to this word called hyper independence that I know that I used it as a way to heal from my trauma of mistrusting people and mistrusting systems um and I don't know if, if, you, if you have any thoughts on how to not create, even within, you know, marginalized people where it's like, oh, I'm only for this group or I'm only for this group. Mm-hmm. But instead, we need to be all for each other. And I, I mean, it's for me, I understand that if I am sitting at the table if it's, you know, my queer friends, my indigenous friends or Asian friends, they also need to be sitting at the table. And I, if I'm at the table, I need to be pulling, pulling up for them as well. Um, yeah, um, I think right now I'm in a, I'm in a phase in my life where I'm, I want to break that damn table. Like I'm no, there's no, we don't need a table anymore. Like this table, uh, this table structure and, and critique that we have kind of created how um, we begin to advocate um, for others. I think it's also be, it's becoming destructive Mm -hmm. because we're outgrowing it. Right. Um, And so I think that's the, the, the issue now is about how do we remove the table so that people can just come in and gather. Cause the minute we have tables then folks want to have chairs and then they want to figure out which chair is bigger, where are you sitting at the table? What are you doing when you're at the table? When in fact we all need to come in to each other and get to know each other. I would say that we, we're not in proximity with each other the way that we think we are. And we have to get to know each other mm-hmm. um, from a, within proximity of each other. We have to understand lived experiences um, with each other. I may not ever walk in your shoes, but I can be compassionate enough to understand that your walk is different from mine and honor the walk that you have and recognize again that it's just gonna be different. And I think, again, that's that's something that we Mm -hmm. struggle with because that's not how we've been socialized. And so this year, what I've learned is that I am no longer content with justice. I need liberation. And so from from a liberatory Mm -hmm. mindset and a liberatory lens, I need to ensure that there are no barriers to anything. And so by 
looking at those barriers, I have to understand the system to which the barrier was created. So there's going to be more work on the back end in order to have liberation. But liberation is freedom, truly. And until folks have been liberated, what we are now existing in is just a space uh, of of uh, of enslavement with no no uh, um no bars. We're enslaved, but we have we're not mm-hmm. tethered to it. However, in some cases, we are tethered because we got everything has a start and finish in our lives. When you get up in the morning, what you doing? Checking your phone, looking at your email, you know, looking at how work is going to have to go, mm-hmm. what deadlines are in place, uh, what what how much energy are you exerting, not for the pay that you even deserve. And so we have to get away yeah. from that and we have to start to, again, clean and change our own minds um, from that work. And that's all of us. That's a human characteristic now. Because all of us are enslaved in some way, shape, or form to the systems that exist. That's the only way that they can be perpetuated. So it's not just liberating Black folks. You got to liberate mm-hmm. queer folks. You got to liberate uh, folks who uh, are from the Asian diaspora, from the African diaspora, from the Latin diaspora, you, from the European diaspora. You have to, all of these people have to actually be liberated in order for the system to break down. Because our system, our structure of supremacy is just like any other living, breathing organism. If you, t- if you remove one piece of it, guess what? It will change to balance itself out. So if we just remove Black folks from the equation, the system will balance itself out in order to make sure we still have hierarchy some way, shape, or form. So you need an entire system's failure in order to be able to, mm. to get get something new and that's where I don't think we have gotten to that part yet but this year should have showed us if it showed us nothing it showed us that we needed each other and if you need each other to survive Mm -hmm. we need each other to survive once you recognize that then the white guy who gets on your nerve and says and does some things that's wrong, you are still willing to work with him because you still need him. And when he recognizes that he needs you as well, now you got mm-hmm. some, now you got a cohesion working and you can start really doing some, some big things. Yeah. Ugh. Patrice, Patrice, talking to you ah. is like is is really like coming to church. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think when we are in community with each other, we should be recharged. We should be if if everybody you come in contact with, if they always draining you, you probably don't need to be around those people. That's just you know, I'm gonna just throw that out there. Every time you are in a space with folks and you are being drained, that is not where you are. It's not going to be conducive to your growth. It's not. Even if it's still paying where it needs to, even if you love them, what have you, if you are constantly being drained, then it is not conducive to your growth. If you are not growing, you become stagnant. And if you become stagnant, you can die. Because the only things that's not growing are dead things. And I refuse to be dead before my time, right? So when, when we're talking to each other, we have to breathe life into each other. We have to remind each other that 
you are an asset to me and I am an asset to you. And together we can do this. One of the best things I ever um, realized is in chemistry. I think it's probably the only thing I ever actually took away from chemistry. Um, but it was the um, it was the <laughs> refraction and a reflection of light. And I think about how you can refract something and never reflect it. That means it, it, it bounces off of you, right? But when you reflect something, it, it is absorbed. Mm-hmm. And so because humans cannot mm-hmm. see, like you've never seen yourself. I can tell you what you look like, but you have never seen each yourself. You have only seen a reflection of yourself. And that is only reflected through the refraction of light. Mm-hmm. So you need me to tell you what you look like. Wow. And we begin to create, we create community around people who reflect who we are because I can't see myself. And so that's where you need to be looking Mm -hmm. at. Look at your circle. Who are the folks that are being reflected from you? How are you refracting light? And if you cannot like give that, understand that, explain that, articulate that in a way that makes sense, then guess what? The folks that are around you are not giving you light. Everybody is a candle, but not everybody is lit. And I need for my folks who are doing this work to stay lit because everything will be against you to blow you out. So even when that happens to you, Mm. I got to be strong enough to light you up. Because you got to do the work. And so, again, as we are are doing this good work, because it's good work, right? It's good work that we're doing. As we are doing this good work, we must take self-care enough to understand how we need to be reflected and refracted with each other. And we got to make sure we got people around us that keeps us on fire. Because the minute that that fire burns out, we have lost a vision. You can't see if you don't have light. A candle, based on a human eye, can see 10 miles away. So how, if all of us are, all, are lit, how far can we see? How big is that vision? And as I told folks today, we all, we all uh, drank the Kool-Aid and believe we're going to somehow um, assess the American dream, some way, shape, or form, even in other countries. Folks have drank the Kool-Aid to believe that they can uh, have the American dream. But guess what? You can't dream when you woke. The only thing you can do when you're woke is you can have visions. Mm. And so I have a vision for what I want my people to be. I have a vision of what I want our society to be. And I have a vision of what I want our practitioners of that to be because I'm woke. And I got some folks who still want to dream and I'm okay with your dream. But at some point you're going to have to get up and do some, and do some. there has to be action behind it. You can't be half sleep. <laughs> and so I, I, I hope as, yeah. as you are even strengthening and sharpening your own um, uh, practitioner guild, that you continue to keep people around you to keep you lit. Because there is a vision that needs to be seen, and I need you to survive.
Wow. Patrice, I can't with you. Um, that was amazing. <laughs> I am just like awestruck right now. Like uh, so many, so many things, so many things. Um, but I want to thank you for this time. You know, yeah. Um, please uh, hit me up through LinkedIn. That's probably um, I, I stay on that. That's my social media, you know, powerhouse right now. And that's Patrice M. Palmer um, on LinkedIn. Um, you can you can hit me up for if if you're looking for consulting or some type of coaching or um, speaking. You can hit me up um, on my Gmail. That's uh, P A Palmer. Um, P-A-L-M-E-R 5276 at gmail.com. Um, that's probably going to be the easiest ways to, to hit me up. Um, and if, if you're interested in getting into this work, I've been having so many people uh, who are contacting me lately about, oh, I want to get into this work. I want to I want to do DEI stuff. I If you talk to me about it, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, that, are you ready to actually do this work? Are you mentally and physically equipped to do this work? <laughs> and are you in it for the long haul? Cause you're not going to see it overnight. Um, and if that's what you're willing to do and that's what you're ready for, then mm-hmm. I absolutely say join um, the ranks and continue to learn and keep yourself um, connected with, you know, brilliant people like you, Jesse, who are, are doing the work in various different ways, not just domestically, but also internationally. I'm always honored to do anything that you ask of me um, because I know what I know what you bring to the table. And you may not see it today. You may not see it today, but for whatever oh, reason, the universe it. has put me in your life as a, a reflection. And so I want to make sure I'm reflecting um, the the awesomeness and the the strength that you bring to this good work, um, and so that we can continue to keep other folks lit. Because I know folks are gonna listen to this and listen to other things that you're saying, and they're gonna get lit, and that's gonna help. That's gonna help the cause. Mm. Yeah, and I and I agree with you that this is not um, this is a life's journey, and if you're ready to get in the trenches and be part of that life's journey, um, you're welcome. If you want to, you know, learn more before you do a deep dive, um, that's also appreciated. But mm-hmm. don't, this is not a, a, a Band-Aid fix. This is something that is going to take time. It's going to be, um, for me, it's definitely life's work. I can't think of going back to just being an admin or doing whatever the hell I was doing before. <laughs> like this is, I cannot, I, this mm. is a, an alignment of my soul. And I need to know that I, 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 I love to hear it, that you're resonating, that other people are resonating. Um, mm. But I'm pouring myself out. And I need for Absolutely. people to. And it is. I think when you, it, it just, you know, it resonated with me when you said this is, you know, this is in my soul. So that means that it's been aligned with with history. It's been aligned with your your uh, your universal trek through life, um, as well as ancestors. This is all mm. lining up. When it lines up, you know it. Um, and uh, again, some people think mm-hmm. of it as, as a hobby. Like if if you're um, if you just believe that people should be, um, you know, like each other and be cool with each other, that's all right. But that's not DEI work. <laughs> if you if you're believing like everyone should have equity and no one should be mm-hmm. um, discriminated against, but that's not equity work. 
Um, equity work is is arduous. It's mm-hmm. painful, and it wears not only on you but on your family. I put my family in, in um, sometimes in danger, physical danger, because not not everybody likes what I say. And so I have to, I have to like make peace with that. Mm-hmm. You make peace with the fact that this is all I can do. This is what I was put here to do. And like I said, think about that before you jump in, because it's going, it's going to hurt if you don't take that into consideration before you do this, this good work. But once you in it, no matter how hard yeah. it gets, it's, it's real. And you're, you're almost addicted to it. You're addicted to change. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think that's the most powerful thing. The most powerful thing that motivates you is when you're seeing, you know, people come to terms, people realizing that there is another way. Mm-hmm. It's that's the thing that keeps me motivated. But thank you, Patrice. This this has been amazing. Um, I cannot wait to learn more about the things that you're doing and working on. Um, yes. Have a beautiful holiday. And right. And this, this is literally <laughs> going to be me sleeping. I get is, to right? sleep and I have to get up and, and do and move and run. So um, that's how I'm, I'm taking that as a, uh, a day of yeah. uh, a, a couple weeks of rest before I got to get back in the trenches again. Yes. Appreciate that. Which which is well deserved. Well I deserved. will see you in 2021. You have a so good I one. I will see you in 2021. Bye-bye. <laughs> that sermonic style of Patrice's does something to me that I hope you got to feel too. And they're right. It's time to break the table. Are you here for it? And because I'm at a loss for words, I want to share these by Khalil Gibran on his poem on pain from 1923. And a woman spoke saying, tell us of pain. And he said, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Even if the stone of the fruit must break, that its heart may stand in the sun, so must you know pain. And could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life, your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. And you would accept the seasons of your heart, even as you have always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields. And you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. Much of your pain is self-chosen. It is a bitter potion by which the physician within you heals your sick self. Therefore, trust the physician and drink his remedy in silence and tranquility. For his hand, though heavy and hard, is guided by the tender hand of the unseen. And the cup he brings, though it burn your lips, has been fashioned of the clay which the potter hath moistened with his own sacred tears. Sometimes... Trying to get someone to understand your point of view as their own is the hardest part about this work. If you're coming from a lived experience, 
but that doesn't mean that we can't still keep trying to do this work because this work is important because like I said to Patrice it aligns with my soul it is my why and it is what I'm hoping that I can put forth in this world for myself for my family and for my daughter This week's rose bud and thorn. This week's rose is the holiday season that comes with rest, rejuvenation, and a breather into the new year. If you are interested, you can join me for a workshop on resilience and envisioning a better 2021 on December 29th. So watch out for that. My bud, I'm just hopeful in this new year. I sort of have to be. We are just a few short weeks to the new year. We're taking a well-deserved break and we'll see you back before you know it. And my thorn. I've been having a lot of conversations with a lot of different people on diversity, inclusion, and belonging. But one of the things that bothers me most is the misconception that this work is only about race. When it goes so much further than that, I use the word intersectionality, first coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, as a means of speaking on the fact black women in the justice system were indeterminately discriminated against, not simply because they were women of color or black, but because of both or more than one of these reasons. And that for social justice policy reform to be able to fix these discriminatory practices was the need to look at individuals as a product of more than just one characteristic, but as an intersection of many, including race, gender, sexual orientation, class, disability, etc. The list has become more exhaustive. But in short, we cannot look at the societal classic actions that create discrimination and privilege without understanding that they do not affect us all in the same way but that we can work to create inclusivity by making the infamous in-group more accepting to the out-group, especially in places of work and school. But that's a longer conversation. Until next time. If you want to follow us on Instagram, at the way underscore we work or check out the website at www.theway-wework.com if you have any questions on culture identity the spectrum of where we fit in send an email to the way we work official at gmail.com mm-hmm.